Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Weems podcast. We're so glad to have you listening in today. Before Carrie joins us in today's episode, we want to remind you that the best way to keep up with all the latest content being released by Carrie is to follow her on social media. She's on Instagram and Twitter, so follow her at Carrie Weems, and you can also find her on Facebook as well, and even comment to let us know how much you're enjoying the podcast and the teaching that Carrie has been bringing to all of us. And don't forget, you can always visit CarrieWeems.com to learn more about her and to see a full list of the books, curriculums, and resources that she has recently released. Thanks again for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Carrie Weems podcast. I'm really excited today to answer some questions that were given to me from women in ministry. You know, I really love to make um, my podcast something that is really relatable to women from every walk of life. But from time to time, I do like to speak specifically to women who feel it is their calling to be in full-time ministry in one form or another, because honestly, that's my context. And I have some wisdom to offer on that. And um, so I've asked some people to that I know to uh, submit some questions for me, some things that would really help them work out uh, some things that they're in their life that they may be struggling with or some questions that they would like answered. And so um, I'm going to go through these today. And Clay Baird is here again with me to help uh, navigate these questions. He's going to, we're going to do a little Q and A. And so. Yes. Always happy to be here on the Carrie Weems podcast. And so, yeah, we have, um, thanks so much for submitting questions. In fact, if you're listening right now and uh, you would love to submit a question, a lot of times Carrie's podcasts actually are from questions, like the topic came about because someone asked a question. If uh, if you ever want to submit a question to Carrie, just visit Carrie Weems uh, on her website, and uh, you can always submit the questions right there, and we always take a look at it. Yeah, it doesn't have to be about ministry. It It can really be about anything. It just so happens that we have... Quite could be about anything. She's a phenomenal yeah. cook. If you ever have cooking questions, <laughs> cooking questions I'll do a cooking <laughs> episode. Yeah. So, uh, okay. But yes, today is about uh, women who have asked questions that are in ministry. And so we'll get right into it. So uh, number one, Carrie, how do you deal with rejection of your calling uh, from men who perhaps weren't okay with women in authority? Uh, and, and so you feel like you've been rejection, rejected. How do you deal with that rejection uh, in the church and still maintain like a, a, a tender heart? Well, that's a really good one. Um, you know, I would say the first thing is to remember that Jesus, his ministry was rejection, rejected yeah. <laughs> flatly <laughs> by the very people he was sent to. So um, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. This is the whole kind of thrust of Isaiah 53, the prophecy of the servant, the servant of God that was going to come and redeem humanity. And, um, you know, Jesus knew who he was, but other people wouldn't acknowledge who he was. And, um, that's a whole other podcast, but people who say that Jesus never claimed his own divinity have no idea what they're talking about, and they don't know how to read the Bible, and they don't understand the Old Testament, so just don't even listen to him. He absolutely proclaimed his divinity, and so, um, but it was rejected. So I would start with that to know that you're in very good company if you're a uh, ministry. Yeah. You know, your call to ministry is being rejected by other men who are not comfortable, by men who are not comfortable with it. Um, I would say another thing, too, is that... Um, if you're trying to minister in a place that does not believe that women should have authority or women should exercise spiritual gifts in the context of the local church, then I would consider, if possible, changing churches. I'm not usually an advocate of this, and certainly if you feel that God has placed you where you are or you're married and your husband really wants to go to that church, you need to be in unity about anything like that. But um you know, if God's called you, you're not going to flourish in an environment where people don't believe that women can be called. In fact, I'm going to 
I'm not trying to pick at them, but um, I think one of the biggest champions of uh, this view, most vocal for sure, is um, this the Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. That is essentially uh, a ministry that is spearheaded by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. Like they're, you know, the comp, the kind of the the biggest voice of complementarianism. And one of the things, one of the questions I was just reading, they have this thing called 50 essential questions that we have to answer. 50 crucial questions um, is on the Bibli Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood website. And one of the questions is, uh, what if a woman really believes that she is sincerely called to be a pastor? And they said, we don't believe that God calls women to be pastors. So essentially, if you think that you are called to be a pastor to them, you are deceived because God would not ever do that. So needless to say, if you're in a church that espouses that, well, then you're in the wrong place yeah. <laughs> because yeah. they're never going to change their convictions yeah, it's not and, and, and let you do something that they don't believe that you are called to do. And on, on the other hand, I would also say that it is not our job to get in the place of people. Like convictions, this is how I look at it. Convictions are sacred space. That is between a person and God, and that person has to answer to God not only for themselves, but for any area that God has entrusted them with stewardship. So I'm never going to tell someone that you're convicted, like if you're fully convicted about this, so let's just take Piper and Grudem. They're so convinced that this is right. They have a whole ministry based on it, and they take heat for it all the time. I'm not, it's not my place to step into that and say, you need to change your convictions because you're wrong. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Now, they can harden their heart to that or they can open their hearts, but actually that's between them and the Lord, and they're ultimately the ones that are going to stand before God and give an account for what they did with what he entrusted to them. And even though I strongly disagree with many of their positions, I also do believe that they understand their accountability to God. So um, most men, I really believe that, that are complementarian is basically what you're describing. They're not trying to oppress women. They're really not. They're not like, okay, I'm going to oppress all the women. Women, like, they're not. It's not a power move for them. They don't recognize the inherent uh, oppressive power structures within it because they're not a woman. Basically, if they were a woman, they would recognize it. A woman, they would recognize it. They're not women. They don't. Um, and you can look at their arguments and see that their logic is very inconsistent and their theology is very inconsistent. But they don't see that. But what I do believe is that the core, the core of their belief. And the championing of that belief is a fear of God that this is what I think the Bible says. And I do not want to stand before God and have to give an account for changing his word. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the, on the one hand, I would say, it's good. you know, first of all, remove, remove the idea that there's a motive to oppress in there. Yeah. Because I don't believe that there's a motive to oppress. And if you start latching onto that, you're going to get bitter. There's no way for you not to get bitter. On the other hand, I would be realistic. It is not your place. You know, the church is not a, it's not a political entity. It's a body. Yeah, yeah. So the body is not supposed to have attack itself. <laughs> Just let them function the way they're meant to function. And then, but you, if you're connected to something and you can distance yourself, I would find another place to right. attend church. And the other thing I would say is you, um, you need to get theologically, you actually need to take responsibility for developing a strong theology around this issue. Because just because you feel called, I mean, you saw, I, 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 you know, I summarized their position, like I feel called to be a pastor. And they would say, well, you haven't heard from God because God doesn't call people to be pastor, women to be pastors. 
who's right? They're going to come back at you with a very well-developed systematic theology. <clears throat> True, yeah. And you're going to go, you're going to have your feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's not going to help you. So you're going to need to develop a very strong and intellectually honest theology around the support of women in ministry. Right, yeah. And if you don't, you're not handling your calling well. You're not stewarding it well. And you're not taking responsibility for it. If you don't do that, you're not going to have a strong feeling of agency to move in the direction. Right. And all of us, like, at the end of the day, if God does call women to speak and lead, then it's going to be reflected in the scriptures. And even though complementarians, I think, tend to have a... I would say a chokehold on the publishing voice about this. They've kind of stepped into that that space and they have overtaken it. And there's they have published a lot on it. There is very very solid scholarship um, to undergird and justify and demonstrate the ability and permission for women to lead and speak in the context of the local church and in the general assembly. And um, you know, I think just as a cornerstone to get you started, I think where you tend to fall on this continuum of women and the level of expression they're allowed to have in the context of the general assembly of the body and also in the church as an organization, if you will, um, depends on whether you start your research, whether you start with Paul and work backwards or whether you start with Genesis and work forward. And whether you include the bookends of Revelation in Genesis and Revelation in your construct of what, of, you know, hierarchy and men and women and all that sort of thing yeah. so no, that's really good i think i mean in anything i think that and any conviction you're going to need to have a strong intellectual biblical uh framework for sharing that because even yep. if you were to change churches tomorrow you're you're going to deal with this again down the road at some point absolutely it's, it's, it's always going to come back again absolutely and you actually here's the thing like i i grew up in a church i'm from the a pentecostal tradition and so i mean pentecostals have a great tra- they were yeah, they yeah. were built on the backs of women they fully empower women to do all sorts of things. I never even heard the idea that women couldn't preach until I was in college. And I was sitting around with a bunch of our buddies, like a group of men and women, like college students, um, talking about kind of future plans and stuff like that. We were so on fire serving God together. And um, I remember saying, you know, I just recently started uh, sharing my testimony a little bit at this Bible study I'm attending. And man, I really love teaching and preaching. I think I might really want to do that in future as a ministry. And one of the guys at the table who was a good friend of mine like I love him still today he said oh you you can't do that you can't teach and preach you're gonna have to pick something else and I was like what are you talking about <laughs> so he you know, begins to take me through all the yeah. the silencing verses for women in the bible I literally was like I mean I didn't have a theology it never occurred to me that I needed one um but I was like you're just wrong like <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. you're just completely wrong you need to go back and repent like that's yeah. If you're going to err on freedom or oppression, err on the side of freedom because right. it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And so if the line is a fine line, then for, by all means, err on the side of freedom. But um, some people don't see it that way. And so from that point on, I realized, like, I better know what I'm talking about because there's going to come a time in my life where someone's going to confront my perceived calling and yeah. I need to be able to support it from Scripture. But what's very important, and this is what I mean by intellectual honesty, you really have to, when you go into this, you need to put aside what you want to find. That's good. Because you can find support for anything in the Bible. We all know the infamous examples of people finding support for slavery in the Bible. People can find support for abusing women in the Bible. You can find support for polygamy in the Bible. Whatever the, the, the word is a mirror and in a 
very powerful and scary way, it can reflect back to us God's truth when we put aside our desire. Yep. Right? But if we go to it looking for something that we want to find, it will also, it can reflect back to us what we want to find. You have to study the scriptures with a pure heart. Mm -hmm. So you have to lay your preconceptions aside and you have to go into it and say, Lord, what does the text really say? Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you you need to, there's going to be an interpretive hermeneutic. I can get into that. I'm not going to. But you need, and you need to really read like people that you disagree with. Go see why they think what they think and don't do it with an attitude of pain. Like go look at what their arguments are and see like, is this right? Is this okay? Is this? Wow, this is really here. Paul really said that. Yeah. Well, what did he mean when he said that? Yep. And I would say more importantly, when you look at everything that Paul said, and when you just when you draw out from the scriptures, most importantly, I think everything that he did, does it is women not speaking in church an exception? Or is it the rule? Yeah. And as I've looked across scripture, I've seen that as more of an exception than the rule. Yeah. For all of Paul's right and all of Paul's writings. Yeah. And so I have, that's how I determined finally, this was a specific context commandment and it yep. was not meant to be an eternal immutable principle for women's participation in the church for all time. Yeah. Um, but I really searched and I was willing like, God, if this is not something that you have for me and I've been deceived, then my heart is open to you. And I also didn't come to this conclusion. This is another thing really important. You know, the Hebraic tradition of, of learning and understanding and interpreting scriptures was not that you did it alone according to your own conscience you would work together in groups of people or you would go interpret something and bring it to submit it to a group of people. And so as I've worked through this, and I will say that I've spent a couple of decades working through it, um, I would always submit it to different people. And that is how you arrive, you preserve the yeah. intent of the scripture. You are able to see it within its, within its original context and you're able to preserve the heart and spirit of it as you apply that scripture to today. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it, it shouldn't be something that you just come up and go, well, I'm just not convicted. Yeah. That actually needs to be done with other people and preferably scholars. Yeah. I think that's, if you have access to scholars, I think that's good. That's great. Let's jump into another one here. Um, when is it okay to be vulnerable with people in your congregation as a pastor's wife? And when should you shelter people uh, from your personal pain. That's actually a really interesting Ooh, yeah. question. I, I've now been on the team here at Celebration Church for seven years, mm-hmm. and uh, in the seven years, I've seen both you and Pastor mm-hmm. Stovall have uh, vulnerable moments yeah. on stage. <clears throat> uh, sometimes, I, I'm a firm believer that sometimes people leave church having learned more and been encouraged by our vulnerability yeah. <laughs> than, uh, than us just you know appearing like we always have it all together. But you guys do that great, so why don't you speak to that? Yeah, um, thank you for saying that, by the way. That means a lot to me. Um, I think being vulnerable, there's a lot, there's a lot out there right now about being vulnerable and owning your truth, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, I, and I believe in being honest, I think part of it is honesty. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is just my story. This is who I am. This is where I am. For me, the filter is, is this something that I'm doing just to get this off my chest so that I don't have to like some people, <laughs> this is a kind of a deep concept, but. The burden of spiritual leadership, the, the acceptance of the call to spiritual leadership, means that you accept the responsibility to lead spiritually, okay? Now, with that lead, it means to go ahead. You're going ahead of, ahead of everybody else, but you're not leaving them. You're bringing them with you where you're going. Right. So you're not 
isolating yourself from them, but you just might not always be where they are. You know, you're in a different place because in order to lead, you have to know where you're going and you have to see where you're going. Okay, right. So and you, you want to lead people into spiritual growth where you're going to need to actually be growing spiritually to yeah. be able to do that. Yep. Um, otherwise, you're just teaching them a class, <laughs> right? True. Um, so spiritual, so discipleship, spiritual leadership is about reproducing, the, you know, helping people cultivate and grow in the character of Christ and um, be conformed to his image. And you have to be in that process as well. And as a spiritual leader, you're going to be maybe ahead of the game. I wouldn't say game. Maybe you're a little bit farther along in that process yeah. than your, your congregants would be. You should be. And to that end, you will be, you should be modeling what, you know, the incarnation of the gospel, you should be in modeling an in, in, incarnational faith. Like Dr. Cloud said, it was such a beautiful way to say it, an incarnational faith to people. Uh -huh. Part of that is vulnerability, like having the humility and the grace to say, like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. This was bad to acknowledge I've done this wrong. Like we've seen Stovall do that over the past year as he's realized some of the ways he has yeah. led our church, you know, wrong or he wishes he could go back and change it. He's yeah, repented. Made, made some shifts. Yeah. He yeah. made some shifts because I was wrong. Yeah. And you have to be able to say that. But on on the other hand, what can happen, there's a, there is a lot of, there. that's a, bur like when you realize like I'm re the real weight of that, like it's a, it's not like teaching a class. It's not no. like you're the teacher, you went and got a degree, now you know more about history than other people, so you can teach them about history. You have a burden to live authentically a, a life that examples Jesus mm -hmm. and demonstrates the kingdom on earth, and you will not be perfect at it. Right. You will absolutely, 100% fail. And some people, in an effort, I would say, to find a bit of relief from that constant burden they do what i call they offload through transparency <laughs> so does that make <laughs> yes, sense Yes, that does so you would that would be the person that gets up on stage and like yeah you know i sin all the time last weekend i you know slipped up and <laughs> smoked a cigarette or last weekend i was you know sometimes i drink too much like you actually don't want to know that your pastor's drinking a little too much <laughs> or that he you know had a struggle with looking at porn three weeks ago you're so not true. <laughs> do you see what i'm saying like yeah Sometimes in the name of, like, I think people think I'm just going to be transparent. Well, if I may, this is my pet theory. I don't know if it's true, but it sounds right to me. So I'm going to say it. There is a difference between transparency and vulnerability. Okay. The difference is intention. Yes. Transparency is an ability to go. Is, is the When you're transparent, it is in the interest of this is who I am. Take it or leave it. If you're going to reject me, reject me now before I invest too much in you. Yeah. At its core, transparency is self-protective. Yes. Right? Vulnerability, the intention behind vulnerability is to open myself, is self-revelatory. Yes. I want you to know me. And I'm not placing any demands on you by unveiling myself for you to know me. Yes. I'm fully aware that you might judge me. Fully aware that you might not like me after this. But in order to be fully loved, I have to be fully known. That's great. Do you see the difference? And we, if you've probably been on, now that I've said this, you can, you can probably say, oh, that's why someone can be transparent to you and you could never feel closer to them. Yeah. Because the intention of transparency is not connectedness. Yes. It's protectedness. Yes. But somebody could, on the other hand, be vulnerable with you and reveal a lot less to you, but you could feel so connected to them because the intention behind vulnerability is connectedness 
not protectedness. Yeah. Does that make I sense? I think I, I 100%. I think even, uh, you know, obviously those of us that were in a church context, those of us who have the Holy Spirit in us, I think the Spirit in you mm-hmm. is able to help you uh, realize which is happening in that moment, whether yeah. someone's being transparent or vulnerable, because I think when it's a, a true vulnerable moment, when it really uh, wishes to help those that it is mm-hmm. speaking to, your spirit bears witness with that. I remember not only do you and Pastor Stovall do this well, and as you just said, Pastor Stovall, even this last 12 months has done such mm-hmm. an exceptional job. And and I know everyone hearing his vulnerable moments, it just makes us love him even more. It makes us even more appreciative that he's mm-hmm. our pastor and that he would share uh, the, some of the things he shared. I remember one time I heard Pastor Robert Morris share yeah. in a conference. Uh, literally, the, the title of his message was Mistakes I've Made. And yeah. it was just a list of, I don't know, five or six things. And he was just sharing. And it was just a vulnerable moment. Yeah. But you left hearing his mistakes, but I left more empowered. I left yeah. more encouraged. And that's what a real genuine moment like that does. Yeah. And I think transparency that, you know, I think transparency that is done for the sake of connectedness is actually vulnerability. Yeah. You call it transparency if you want, but it's, if you know, but there is a ton of transparency. I think when you're transparent, I'm just being transparent can also be like, and it's, you know what? I mess up. It's okay for you to mess up too. So then what it does is you congregate on the side, you draw people to the side of like, we, we empathize with each other's shortcomings and we also give permission and validate their shortcomings. So if you end up, you know, doing something wrong, it's okay. I do that too. Just come talk. And then you can kind of congregate you, you in a sense, like you gather around the failure Yeah. instead of gathering around the truth of who we're called to be, the reality of where we are, and the grace that connects, that fills in that gap, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. That was really, yeah, that was great. Great question, by the way. Whoever yeah, submitted really that, good. if you're listening, that's a great like question. And I'd like to add, too, as far as, like, vulnerability in your church, that's at a, that's at a, like, a church level, like, church and, like, the whole church. Yeah. But then when it comes to friendships, I just think you have to be very careful about that. Because yeah. not, again, the part of the burden of spiritual leadership is that it is a bit of a walk alone, and there are very few people who can come with you. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you need to be lonely at all. Please don't take that. We're not going to try to go back there where pastors are hiding things. Yeah. But not everybody can handle your vulnerability, yeah. and you need to have wisdom and discernment. You know, for sure. So I think that's important. Absolutely. Well, go, let's go another one. Maybe we've got time for one more, mm-hmm. and then uh, man, keep keep tuned in to the Care Weems podcast because we're going to do a lot of Q and A sessions like this mm-hmm. in the future. But um, okay, here's another question: How do you manage uh, the affairs of the church? Right, what's going on at church uh-huh. as a leader, and also take care of the kids and the household duties? So obviously, we know that a woman is uh, the one <laughs> who is writing us this question. You're yes. a mom of three. <laughs> yep. I know uh, you have two that uh, have have graduated now. Yep. And they're they're off in college. One's married, and yep. uh, but you still got one in high school at home. So uh, yeah. So let's hear it, Mom Carrie. This is Carrie, Mom. I am right so here. glad that this question was asked. I have a really, really very easy, a really easy solution for it. And the question and the answer is, I don't handle it. I have so much help. Yeah. And I know that, and I do. I I don't want to say that you know I just have people doing everything for me, um, but. You know, there is a certain amount that you can manage with, you know, boundaries, saying no, not going to things, uh, being organized, being disciplined. But you could that only will really take you so far. There comes a point where you are like, you really just have too much to do on your own. And when you get to that point, and usually it is um, sooner than most people will admit or realize, you need to have a plan in place to ask for help or you need to approach 
your husband or whoever else needs to know and say, I've, I've reached my capacity. This is as much as I can do in a, from a healthy state. Yeah. I can't take on any more than this. Um, probably need to reduce, a, like let go of a couple of things. Now, if you're willing to come in with some support, I can continue taking on more. But right now, this is yeah. all I can take out. So what that means for you is you, you're going to have to be uh, proactive, right? You cannot just be reactive and keep saying yes to things. Um, I would say another thing that people kind of overlook is, um, you know, what does it mean for you for your house to be well-managed? Yeah. So we have a, everybody's different. Like define, like you have to define that for your own household. Yes. For your own household, your own self. So everybody's a little different. Some people can deal with chaos a lot more um, easily than other people. Some people can, they're, they can't deal with any chaos at all. For some people, they're happy to like order out dinner every night and spend very little on groceries. For some people, they really need a home cooked meal because maybe they have specific dietary needs or they just really like the way they feel when they eat Uh home cooked food. Like it is you know, better for you for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to decide what what home manage like this our home is in order this is what our home looks like when it's in order. That's good. That's it good. looks like we're not eating out more than three times a week. It looks like um this is the level of clean cleanliness. This is the level of organization. It looks like mornings look my morning routine is, is flowing like this. The nighttime routine is flowing like this. It requires this level of input from my husband, this level of support from an outside source, like maybe I hire a house cleaner or whatever. Or um you know, I have, I'm not happy in my house, in my bath, if my toilets aren't cleaned every day. Yeah. I'm not like that. But like, I know lots of people who they feel that cleaning the toilets is a daily chore. Okay. I'm not here to tell you that's not good. I'm here for you to decide what's good for you. Yeah. yeah. And then I would say that for a woman, this is so important. If my house is not cared for and running in the way that is orderly for me, and my family that best serve my house, the house is not an ornament. It is a it is the hub of everything we do. It is the heart of our lives. It is the landing place for restoration, for break, for sanctuary from the world. It is, I mean, it is so important. Yeah. So when that gets out of order, I cannot even focus on anything else outside the home. When I get it to the capacity where when I get to the place where my home is no longer manageable. It doesn't even do me any good to try to let it go. Like, I may as well quit right then. So I have learned at every juncture where I felt like I've gotten overwhelmed, I've said, and I've had this discussion with my husband, do I want to keep going? Do I want to stop here? Do I want to take a break? Do I want to, or do I want, do I want, do I want to hire more support? Do I need to increase my support? And that is a, both a financial, it's a financial decision. Yep. It's a career decision. It's a, where are we in our family? Like, there's so many things that come into play. You know, there was a time for like six years where literally 100% of my paycheck went to paying for support to keep our house running. Wow. And um, a lot of women would say, well, that's not worth it for me to work if I'm going to give all of my money to help people basically enable me to work. <laughs> but the reason I made that decision then was because I realized that that would be a temporary. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a short time. It was like six years. Okay. But it was also, it was temporary. And if I offer it, if I took the off-ramp right there as I could have done, I wouldn't be where I am today. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. It would have been easier in the moment, but I would have had to totally, like in my mind, I'm called to lead alongside my husband. That's what he thinks too. This We're both convinced of this. So that means for me to actually derail at that moment, take the off-ramp and say, okay, right now this I'm not making enough money to justify. Not everything is, you know, every. it's important to be in charge of your finances, but do you know not everything is a financial decision? Yeah. Like, I'm going to take this risk. Yeah. And, and by staying the course and not 
off-ramping when it got hard and having a much longer visionary outlook of, okay, if I stay here, eventually I'm going to make my money back because I will position myself to have the salary essentially, you know, where I can do all of these things and my kids are going to get older and I won't need the level of support. You know what I'm saying? Yep. At that point, you make that decision. And I think it has to be something that's done in unity with your husband. And I think it has to be based not only on money, but also on calling. Yeah. Can I fulfill what God's designed me for to do and to do in this context and in this season if I off ramp and stop working so that I can stay home and make our home, help our home function? And they're both extremely important. Yeah. And for that answer is going to be different for every individual. And it has very much to do with what you personally know that God's called you to do in that season and time and with your life, I think. Yeah. Let me, so on the back of that question, just one more for you, maybe to the, uh, to the pastor's wife, lead pastor's wife, maybe who is leaning in and and listening in today. Can you offer one um, example of uh, when, when the question talked about uh, the affairs of the church, managing things in the church, can mm-hmm. you think of one thing that maybe you uh, were or weren't able to do in, mm-hmm. in the earlier days of ministry when your kids were younger, but now it has opened up because the household duties have changed? Mm-hmm. And, and so now you've may, maybe been able, I mean, obviously podcasting is something yep. that was new for you. Yep. Uh, you know, we, we didn't have the Carol podcast 20 years ago. Yes, we didn't have um, the internet. Is, is, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm kidding. Is there, but is there anything else that you're like, I remember in that season, mm-hmm. I just wasn't able to do that thing, but now it's come full circle and now I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I would say teaching. I mean, with um, I've, I, I know that during the time when I was starting women's ministry, I loved women's ministry. I had the capacity to add that to my plate. I loved, you know, um, Celebration Women. We would have like, weekly Bible studies. Right. And um, that was a lot of content preparation. Yes. But I could not handle much weekend speaking in addition to that. Um, and uh, so I didn't do much. And then as my kids got older, I was able to incorporate more of that. I would say speaking at conferences was something that yep. I would like to, would have liked to do. But I mean, it just with Stovall's travel schedule and my travel schedule and the needs of the church, I just couldn't be, I wasn't freed up to do that. I can do that more now if I choose to, um, you know. So uh, I think even things like, you know, some of it is like, you know, I think women, when it comes down to, I'm working, I've got my kids, I've got my husband, I've got my career, I've got church, all this stuff. And then, okay, you've got those things, those keep you pretty busy. And so you're going to have to let go of some things to keep those at the level that you want them to be at in order for your, for you to be happy and for your family to be functioning and happy and healthy. And most of the time what happens is your friendships go out the window. Wow because they seem optional to you. And also a lot of your friends are in the same boat. They're like, I don't have time to get together. I can't pack a diaper bag. And it's like, (laughs) you know, you pack, it takes you 30, (laughs) it takes you an hour to get ready to leave the house, an hour to get where you're going. You have 30 minutes to talk and then it's another hour. You're like, it's just not worth it. But um, The parents, we all know. Uh I would say like for me, it came down to reclaiming space for friendships in my life. That's great. um, That were not solely dependent on us working together. That's great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's all we got for this episode of the Carrie Weems podcast. Yeah. I want to remind you, and then I'm going to pass it back to Carrie. I want to remind you that if you have great questions, if you're you know a consistent listener or maybe from the outside perspective, you've been looking in on, on Carrie's ministry here at, at Celebration Church and all that she and Pastor Stovall are doing, and you have questions, uh, submit them at carrieweems.com. Our team takes a look at those all the time. Mm-hmm. And so many, honestly, genuinely, so many future podcasts podcasts are going to come uh, from the great questions that are already being submitted. So we really love that. Thank you so much for sending. And uh, thanks thanks for letting me be here. Yeah, I love thank you being. for being here, Clay. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks again for joining us here at the Carrie Weems podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to share it with your friends and followers on social media. And don't forget, one of the best ways you can help us get the word out is to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It's a simple and easy way that you can help us spread the word about the great teaching that Carrie has been sharing. Plus, if you would like Carrie to answer one of your questions in an upcoming episode, we would love to hear them. All you have to do is email them to us at info at Don't forget to follow on social media to stay up to date on all the latest resources that are releasing on Instagram and Twitter at Carrie Weems, or you can find Carrie on Facebook as well. And of course, for a full list of all the available books and resources, just visit CarrieWeems.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.